The Sports Complex with Patrick Davis on The Horn. Welcome back to the Sports Complex on a Tuesday afternoon on the show today. We'll get in to a disappointing overtime loss for the Texas Longhorns men's basketball team. Get into some more Big 12 basketball games that will be happening tonight. Some NBA all three Texas teams were in action last night. We'll get into those. Talk a little bit about a uh, a statement by Jason Kidd that uh, may rile up some, some older fans. We'll see. I want to see where you guys stand on that one. And, of course, we'll get into more NFL. The coaching carousel continues to roll. And Jerry Jones talked to the media, had some stuff to say. We'll get into all of that. And, of course, your text messages, 512-447-3776. 512-447-3776 is the text line. You guys drive the show. I just try to keep it on the rails. That means we try and answer every single text here on the Sports Complex, whatever you guys want to talk about. Of course, we'll have the big fat poll of the day as well uh, coming up here at the end of the segment. Get you involved with the show as well. Always enjoy talking to you guys on the text line. All right. Can I filibuster? Should I filibuster some before we get to the, the talk about Texas basketball? Should we filibuster about having to work and then traffic was terrible? It's always bad. This is the worst. I will say this. I'll filibuster with this, that there's – that it, the worst thing for me now is at the end of the show and I've got a couple things to do. And then I hear that last traffic report at the end of the show and you're just like kind of trying to wrap things up and all right, get home. And then, you know, I'm going to make some dinner before, before the game. And so I have to get stuff ready and you, that's what I'm trying to do. And you think, okay, I'll plan it out. I'll get back. I got to run by the store real quick and this will happen and that. And I have time and I might be able to get to the gym before the game. And then, the traffic report comes on and goes, avoid all the roads you use to get home. <laughs> they're all they're all backed up. Uh, that is That was not a fun way to start the evening yesterday uh, and then uh, went downhill from there. But, you know, uh, finished up and after that game and then still went to the gym and still, uh, still tried to go through life. Even though Texas does lose last night to Houston, it was not the worst case scenario. It is just a bit more of a measuring stick of where this Texas team is this season and where their ceiling may be. And, you know, this is a team that last year, I think, late in the season showed that they could be better than we thought they were going to be. They they definitely made an impact at the end of the season. We're able to make that run to the Elite Eight, and and that was a great run. But when you watch games like last night, you see – the, the lack of intensity in the first half and knowing that you're coming out on national television, on ESPN, 
Uh, you're the, the feature game at 8 p.m. on a Monday night against the number four team in the country, and this is a big matchup, and they got the stripe out, and you're at home, and you still can't come out and be up for it physically and mentally like you need to be. And silly turnovers, just no offensive cohesion whatsoever, no reality of how physical of a game this is going to be when you've watched film and you've done everything. And I get it was a short turnaround after Saturday, but you have to understand what you're walking into on Monday. And it did not feel like Texas was until they got into the room and just get mollywopped in that first half, holding them to 35% from the field, 23% from three, three of 13 for three, taking a lot of bad threes as well, just trying to take desperation shots as they didn't feel comfortable driving in and creating contact. Uh, you know, and, and look, the refs swallowed their whistle for a lot of the game, which is okay. If you're going to swallow it both ways, which is what they did, I'm more okay with that than calling every little thing because you don't want to see those star players foul out of games. Uh, but for the intensity not to be there in the first half was a real sign of where the veterans on this team, and I know they're new, but a guy like Mac Asmus, you want to see him set the bar early. and He's not a physical player. This isn't his style of game. But you want to see him try and bring some more energy early. You want to see Dylan DeSue try and bring some energy. Dylan Mitchell is young, but he needs to bring some energy. He did in the second half, but he wasn't able to do it early in the game. And it put Texas behind the eight ball going into that second half. The second half, they did respond. And that's where you start to see what Texas is capable of, what Texas can do. But the consistency just game in and game out has not been there for Texas and they're going to have to find a bit more of that consistency where sometimes it's a bad first half, sometimes it's a bad second, but playing 40 minutes of basketball has not been a real uh, factor for Texas so far this season. Uh, we saw Dylan Mitchell in the second half. He he started to find a little bit more of that Dennis Rodman in him, and you don't have to be an elite scorer of you know shooting the ball, but we need you to go in there and use your athleticism on guys that are just bumping you around, well, you can bump them with your athleticism too. And I know he missed a box out at the end, which is because he was trying. It wasn't his man, really. He was out on the outside. The man slipped around him. It, it was unfortunate to miss that. Houston's a really good rebounding team. You'd like to see him be able to get in there and get the box out. Uh, but I've watched the play like five or six times just to try and figure out how he missed it. And it wasn't necessarily the easiest. It wasn't something where he wasn't paying attention to it. You can watch him trying to slide his body around to get to it without fouling, and he just can't get around on that block at the end of the game in the overtime. Uh, that's disappointing. And there was one earlier, too, where you know his man gets free because he has to come over on the help because uh, the frontside defender could not get in front of the guy. And so it ends up where, where Dylan Mitchell gets pulled out and it becomes an easy putback. And at the end of the day, you can't allow 19 second chance points. You can't allow 15 offensive rebounds against Houston because that's what they want to do. The problem is most teams do allow 19 second chance points to Houston. Most teams do allow 15 offensive rebounds. So you're not going to beat yourself up over the head and say, wow, we're the worst team in the league. But you are going to say, hey, man, if we want to compete at the level we want to, we have to stop those types of plays. They come out in the second half. They shoot 60% from uh, field, 60% from three. They take a lot less threes, try to get to the basket a bit more in the second half, get the ball down low. It becomes a much better second half. Uh, we see them be able to come back, tie the game up. They're not able to get the game-winning shot off in time. The turnover by Kendall Weaver where it's still youth, and those are just 
parts of growing up in the league and where he's getting more minutes and he was expected playing 25 minutes last night and the impact he can have in these games. This was a good game for him again. The BYU game wasn't his best, a lot of effort, but I think some of it was misguided. This one played a lot better. This was more his style of game as well for Kendall, uh, Kendall Weaver. But, uh, you know, this is this is probably an unpopular take. And again, and look, I'll put this one out there too, just so if anybody on the text line wasn't, they got to hit your free throws, you have to rebound. Like we know, it's you have to hit your free throws. If you if you hit some of your free throws, then Texas isn't in the situation where it's even overtime and they win the game. I get that. But I'm gonna. this is an unpopular opinion that I think some people have, is that Max Aismas right now, you have to find a way to not have him be so ball dominant because teams are targeting him and he's not necessarily making the right decisions a lot of the time because he is going to be a bulk shooter. But Max A. Smith, if he goes 6 for 15, it's really going to hurt this Texas team because they don't have the depth for anyone else to step up in that role. And, and I'm not putting on Max A. Smith that he's not being a really good player and he's not the second best player on this team. I'll still say Dylan D'Souza is a better player than him, uh, at least a better impact player in, in what he can do with his size and ability. Pound for pound, probably Max A. Smith is a better player. Uh, but Dylan DeSue has got the size and, and what he can do inside rebounding, what he can do, his passing. He, he's done a lot of things really well. Uh, Max Aismas, he just the bulk shooting, it, it's got to be, you have to kind of try and limit that a little bit more that if you're not hitting those shots and if you're covered, I know you're getting those passes late, but trying to instigate some more offense, that seems to be a big issue for Texas so far this season. Uh, and, and, you know, as much as people are getting on Tyrese Hunter, his his numbers are not bad. Tyrese Hunter, the issue is he's not being he's not being dominant. But his numbers aren't bad. Now you can look at an IT Horton and say maybe that one isn't working out. That transfer isn't working out the way we want it to. You can look at Caden Shedrick and say through the injuries, that transfer is not working out just the way we want it to. He did have some decent minutes in this game. Offensively, he hasn't been as good as he was earlier in the season. But for Texas, you have to now look at a, a team where you, you took the number four team in the country to overtime. So we'll be happy about that. But there's no moral victories at Texas. And you should have won that game. Texas should have won the game against Houston last night. So how do you rebound after that? Get back onto it. Say, okay, these are the things we need to fix. And we're on a Big 12 schedule where, yes, we can say, well, we need to play more physically. But you can't every night because if you walk in and play a road game where they want to flop around on the floor a lot, you're going to get fouled out of every game because the Big 12 refs are not consistent in how they call games. And so I think it's going to be a consistent issue for Texas is trying to find what their identity is because they have not set it halfway into Big 12 play is their identity. They kind of shape shift so far. They've been a good field goal percentage team. But that's not really an identity that you can get behind for a Texas team. Uh, they, they, there was a problem finding the identity because of the injuries to Shedrick, the injury to Dylan DeSue. Uh, when, when again, I said Dylan DeSue is you know the, probably the best player on this team, the most effective player on this team, uh, most valuable player. You see when he comes out of games, how much worse that team is, and you know his plus minus is usually pretty good. It wasn't great last night, but his plus minus is usually pretty good. Uh, Dad, I think if you put Dylan DeSue out there and get him into foul trouble, that's a problem. So you can't be the most physical team in the league. So you have to find what your identity is for this Texas team going forward. You have now a long week. You've got Tuesday. You've got today all the way to Saturday before your next game. 
And you, I know you got to keep playing hard teams. It's the Big 12. Every game is going to be a battle. Every game is going to be rough. But this is going to be a stretch for Texas where they're going to have to start to put it together and find their identity. Rodney Terry has a good group of guys, but they're not quite the group of guys that we may have thought they were at the beginning of the season. They're a team that still can compete in the Big 12. They can compete uh, for a spot in the tournament. They don't seem like the biggest team. Again, we can go into the fact that Ron Holland uh, deciding to go to the G League instead of college basketball is a pretty major setback when we look at the offense of this team and guys like IT Horton being playing 20 minutes a game and not being able to produce offensively, which is what his forte is. Uh, Brock Cunningham's offensive ability going downhill. When, you know, when we look at that bench and we look at basically your top four guys are DeSue, Dylan Mitchell, Max Acemus, and Tyrese Hunter. And Tyrese Hunter only added five to that as well. And then you have three points from IT Horton. You have five points from Kendall Weaver, five points from Brock Cunningham, and five points from Caden Shedrick. Kendall Weaver is going to continue to grow in that role in the next few years. He'll get better and better at finishing at the rim, better and better at everything he does. Not really worried about him. IT Horton might be an issue because his offense has just not been able to find a place so far. He hasn't been able to get open and hit the shots when he gets open. Because he either hits shots when he's kind of covered or he gets open and misses wide open ones. He's going to have to start figuring that out. Uh, but it was a wake-up call against Houston that you played a really good game and came up just a little bit short because of that inconsistency. Once again, inconsistency of the intensity and the energy that you put out there that you know one of the big pieces we saw last season was Serge Abari Rice coming off and being a leader. Not only the energy off the bench on the sideline, but a leader on the sideline. And you had, you know, Marcus Carr could be a leader. And you had Timmy Allen kind of trying to be a leader. You had guys being leaders on the sideline. And with Brock Cunningham only playing 10 minutes a game, he's not going to be that guy. So you need Dylan DeSue to fall into that role. You really need Max Aspis to fall into that role. And I don't know if he has yet. He doesn't seem to be the guy in the timeouts and grabbing people and telling people and getting people pumped up and getting guys ready to go. I don't know if there's a leader on the court to get them ready to go. That's what you need in basketball because a coach can yell at you all they want, but a coach is not necessarily going to get you pumped up to go back into the game. A coach is telling you what to do. They're, you know, they're, they're giving you assignments. They're giving you uh, spots that you're missing, plays that you need to run, guys you need to check, you know, keep on. You know, they're telling you when you – uh, you double off of screens and when you trap off of screens and things like that, or when you're switching, that's more what the coaching is going to be. I'm not putting that on RT because that's not who RT is. And, the, and I, I think coaches who are going to get you amped up are probably not going to win you championships either. I, you need to have those guys on the court uh, to do that. And I don't know if they found that this season. Hopefully one of those guys will on the bench will start to figure it out. One of those guys in this lineup for Texas will start to figure out how to be a leader on the court, how to be the guy that brought, not not trusting just Brock Cunningham to be that guy, to get the guys to grab him and tell him, yeah, man, let's go. Let's pick it up. Hey, man, don't let him box out. Box out. Get on the court. And when a guy gets knocked over, you pick him up and you say box out next time. That kind of energy, I just haven't seen it from this Texas team a ton this season, and we saw it definitely rear its head last night against Houston. It's not an end-of-the-world situation. You were playing the number four team in the country, and you took them to overtime, and you had a shot, and you should have beaten this team. So we're not saying Texas is garbage. Like I'm sure somebody will put on the text line again. They're not because they're the number four team in the country. You know, you're, you are the underdog, even though you were at home. 
But it is a point where it was a really good measuring stick for Texas to see if they could do the things they needed to do to keep their offense alive when a team started to play physical and tough. And when the game got harder, they were able to do it, but they could not do it for two two halves. They couldn't do it for 40 minutes. And neither team played well in overtime. So we'll just kind of, I mean, both teams were just dead tired by the time they got there with the energy they'd expelled already and the minutes everybody had played. Uh, it, you know, but it, it ends up being a game that unfortunately comes down to missed free throws, to missed rebounds, and, you know, and just a missed opportunity of a first half where you could have, you know, if at some point you could have on the court turned it on and started to play a bit more physical and start to bump around and really start to realize what you had the opportunity to do. And it wasn't able to get done. And by the time they figured it out, it was just too late to overcome that amount of energy against a really, really good Houston team. We'll get to the text line in a minute. I see we've already got some texts coming in, and I'm sure I'm sure we've got some people that are positive, some people that are negative, but we'll get to those in just a minute. We'll get to them. Uh, I do want to get to a couple other games in the Big 12 tonight to keep an eye on. Uh, tonight we will get Texas Tech at TCU, uh, number 15 Texas Tech at number 25 TCU. This is another game for Texas Tech. That team is looking really good right now. Uh, they're one of the top 15 teams in college basketball and free throws, uh, and this is a problem for TCU they're a little bit sloppy a lot of times, and it doesn't necessarily clean up at home. They're averaging just over 13 turnovers a game. They foul a lot as well. Uh, so if this is a game where Texas Tech can just down the stretch, get the turnovers they need, and hit the free throws they need, this could be another big win for Texas Tech as they continue to build their resume. Uh, Oklahoma, number 23, Oklahoma is at Kansas State. This may be the game that helps knock out Oklahoma out of that top 25. Their preseason schedule built them up as they went undefeated in that but didn't play a lot of big talent. Uh, K-State is the 22nd most efficient defense. That is something that gives Oklahoma problems. Uh, You play good defense on Oklahoma, they have a real hard time scoring. So Kansas State may put Oklahoma out of that ranked team list. There'll still be a quad one win for Texas, but it may knock them down as a win for Texas uh, there. You just have to keep winning. You have to keep winning if you're Texas, especially games you're supposed to win. And uh, Oklahoma State at number eight, Kansas. Kansas, this one uh, uh, should be a bounce-back game for Kansas, who's had some struggles on the road, but they are 10-0 at home this season. Uh, Oklahoma State is not one of the better teams in the Big 12. They, everyone in the Big 12 is good, but no, you know, this is not one of the better teams. So look for a Kansas win there tonight as well. Uh, over in the NBA, the Spurs lost to the Wizards 118 to 113 last night. Jetty Osman off the bench had a good game, 20 points for there. Uh, Wimby goes for 22 points and 11 rebounds. Actually, up to 31 minutes now, that minutes restriction for the ankle injury seems to be dying down. He made the uh, Shooting Stars uh, rookie game, so he'll be participating in that, getting a little bit more in there. But unfortunately, they could not get their third win in a row against a struggling Wizards team who's playing better. Uh, with Keith as their coach coming in after they made the move to move Unseld up to the uh, front office. Uh, Jeremy Sohan in this game didn't have a great game. He's been playing a lot better. I'm not the biggest Jeremy Sohan fan. I've been on the record about that, but I will give him credit. He's been playing a lot better. Still a little too too selfish for me. Uh, Too many times he holds on to the ball when he shouldn't be. He takes shots that are not basically the the most uh, advised shots. And doesn't necessarily always look for the best in the team. He does lay on the floor too many times. He lets plays linger with him too much. 
but he's been playing better and better. And this game was one where it just fell off the fell off the rails. Uh, ends up with two points, four rebounds. He goes one for seven. Just never really got it going. And that's again when you talk to these young players, it's about consistency, consistency, consistency. That's how you get into a starting lineup. And the Spurs were just short one of their big pieces where Sohan been playing well as they started to win. If he starts to fall off, they don't have enough people on the bench to make up for one of their starters uh, not playing well. The Rockets get a big win over the Lakers, 135-119. to 119. Jalen Green plays one of his best games of his career, 34-12-7 in the game. Alperin Shingun, 31-12-7 as well. The young guys taking it to this Lakers team with the energy. Jabari Smith Jr. return, that's another big piece in there. Uh, and then we also saw Dylan Brooks doing Dylan Brooks things and hitting LeBron and LeBron doing LeBron things by laying on the floor. It was just one of those moments in basketball where he saw these young stars and Jabari Smith and Jalen Green and Alperin Shingun, you know, playing really good basketball for the Rockets. And then Dylan Brooks has to make it about himself and LeBron has to make it about him. It was it was frustrating in a really good game uh, for the late for the Rockets, uh, but a big win and a bounce back win there. Uh, the Rockets have been struggling lately, but hopefully with Jabari Smith Jr. returning, uh, that helps them. They're another team. You just don't have a ton of depth. So when you lose a guy that has been playing good minutes for you, uh, really hurts your chance to win some games here in the NBA. The NBA is tough to win games. We just know that. And the Mavericks get a big win, 131-129 to 129 over the Orlando Magic. Luka Doncic comes out again, 45-9-15 for Doncic. Hardaway adds 36 points there. Uh, Paulo Bancaro had a big game as well. Mavs down 16 in the third. They fight back into this game, and the Mavs get it. And after the game, Kidd says Luka is now better than Dirk Nowitzki. He says he's the best player in Mavs history. He's better than Dirk, and you should start talking about him in line with Michael Jordan. And I said one of those things may be true. I won't give it to him yet because he's 24 and in the sixth season and hasn't won a ring, and Dirk has a ring, which is going to give him benefit of the doubt. Uh, and also Dirk, you know, I mean, neither one of them played much defense. Michael played some more defense than either one of them. Uh, but I'm not giving him, I'm not going to give him Dirk quite yet just because he's only six seasons in and Michael Jordan, he is way off of, that's a crazy statement to say this early. He is a scorer as a scorer, probably as good as, as Michael Jordan, but he's a bulk scorer. And that's always one of those, you know, you have to kind of look at and say, well, he's cost his team. And so is, can he get the winning records? Can he get to that next level? Uh, with, but that's a, that's a, that's a, yeah. I'm not sure about that one, uh, but I do want to ask you, and I, you know, for Mavs fans on here, I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on Jason Kidd saying that he's the best Mav now and he's past Dirk Nowitzki. Uh, I'd also like to hear on the poll. Let's hit that sounder. Patrick's big fat poll of the day on the horn. If we're going to put Luka Doncic up in that Michael Jordan era in the area, and then we have to look at some other players around the league who are playing well, Joel Embiid, Giannis, all those guys playing well. I want to ask you, and we look at Dirk Nowitzki in that conversation as well. If we want to say in Texas teams, Akeem Olajuwon as well, Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili, who is the greatest foreign player in NBA history? Who do you have on your list as the greatest foreign player? And it could be someone playing right now. It could be someone from the past. But who's the greatest non-American so you can go Canadian as well if you want to pick one of the Canadians. I don't know if there's a Canadian that would be up there. Steve Nash is probably the best Canadian. Maybe I'm wrong on that. I'm just trying to rack my brain right now. Uh, but that is, uh, that's the question for you too. Who is the best 
foreign player in NBA history. That is a poll today. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll get back, hit up the text line a little bit, get you some sound from Hook Em Up with Ian Rodby, and keep the show rolling here on the Sports Complex and the Horn 1019, AM 1260, the Horn app, and hornfm.com. The Sports Complex ah! on the Horn. Back on Sports Complex here on the Horn, playing some of the biggest Grammy winners of all time. Beyonce atop that list, most Grammy wins of any artist ever. The Jay-Z's on that list as well, both in this song. So we're playing prolific Grammy winners. Grammy winners with at least double-digit wins in the Grammys all week long is our musical theme since the Grammys are coming up on Sunday. You know, something you want to watch. If you're not going to be watching football on Sunday, you can watch the Grammys and realize how out of touch you are with music like I do every year. Tune in and be like, I don't know who any of these people are, and I don't I don't genuinely care that much. It makes me feel very old and very much like I'm sitting on the front porch telling kids to get off my lawn. It's half of my personality. The other half is me trying to be forgiving and a nice person. And then there's, yeah, it's just the duality of man right there. Uh, text line is open 512-447-3776 talking uh talking some college basketball in texas disappointing loss last night to houston uh, as well as uh the poll of the day who is the best foreign player of all time in the nba we're asking you that because kid has now said luka Doncic is above dirk Nowitzki in the Mavs history and he should be mentioned in the names like michael jordan that's what he said last night uh, after that 70-point win. or He said this yesterday, I guess, or at some point on a radio show. He didn't say it post-game. He said it on a radio show. Uh, so we, we'll get with that. If you have any of that, it's 512-447-3776. We'll get to a couple before we play the sound uh, for me and Rod B. Uh, Texter says, Rodney Terry, is, uh, his coach is a poor man's uh, Shaka Smart and Texas coach. I think we're trying to say that he is a poor man's Shaka Smart which he's about doing what Shaka did. So I don't know there. He's actually a better recruiter than Shaka. And I'm, I'm a fan of Shaka. Like, I like Shaka Smart. He just, he didn't work well at Texas. Uh, he didn't recruit well here. He didn't really know that he didn't, the area never accepted him very well. Uh, and he wasn't able to get the type of star players, especially smaller players who could score a lot. He was really good at getting defensive players and defensive bigs. But that only gets you so far if you have that lineup. And that was kind of Chris Beard's thing. Chris Beard would get a lot of good defensive players, and then he'd get like one or two just offensive guys who would just shoot, score a bunch. And if those guys got hot at the right time, he could be really, really dominant. Uh, but that was kind of more of the Chris Beard. Shaka Smart never could get that other side of the equation. Rodney Terry is recruiting really well. Got Ron Holland. He was going to come here, and then the money started to talk that he was able to go to the G League. He probably didn't necessarily want to go to college, which – I can get to. I was not a huge fan of going to school, so I can understand why some of these players may want to move on and uh, take the just go. I'll play basketball all day, and I don't have to worry about the other parts. But I'm not comparing him to Shaka. I think, I think if we want to go into it, he's closer to Rick Barnes 
because that's what he took coach with a lot. And I know people don't want to hear that, but I think he's closer to that where he's recruiting pretty well. He can get some star players to come in. Uh, you know, if we look at the recruits he has coming into next year, he's got some really good young players coming in. Chris Johnson is going to be better as he gets better in this league. You know, you were able to get top transfers. I think, you know, it's a different game as well with the transfer portal. But, you know, I'm not going to say a one point, a, a, you know, a overtime loss to the number four team in the country again is, wow, what a terrible coach. You say, okay, this coach is, is getting guys. He's just not quite there. And I don't know if the talent is there on the team uh, when you just don't have, you know, really that fifth starter. And that's really kind of, if you could add one more piece to that equation that you know could rebound well and could go in there and bring energy, and that's what those teams have. Uh, Houston has a fifth starter in Texas with It Horton. He just isn't that guy right now that you need him to be. That if It Horton is hitting fifty percent from three and is able to get open and hit those big shots, then oh yeah, Texas wins a lot more games because It Horton adding you know nine points a game now changes a lot. And I just think that you know you miss out on one where you watch him and he plays well and he's a really good offensive player elsewhere. He's just not hitting his shots at Texas. So you have to keep trying to figure that out. Uh, Texter says, was at the game. I loved everything about our intensity. I think Houston just got overmatched. Uh, I think Houston just got over uh, overmatched uh, physically in a lot of areas. And as much as I like Rodney Terry as a coach, could somebody please explain that our offense, uh, is it's not illegal to move without the ball, but you can set picks for guys who don't have the ball. I agree with that. Uh, there's points where that offense and, you know, especially when people start playing tight on them, guys start standing around and it, it drives me nuts too. It drives me nuts too. Uh, and that's been a part of a lot of colleges, uh, offensive schemes, especially cause a lot of college, you know, Rodney Terry wants to start building with the defense and then go to the offense. Uh, but at some point you have to get to the offense. That's kind of what happened last season was the defense was built first and then the offense came along. But the problem was the offense started to come along around this time last year. And then it really picked up that the offense was next level when they got to, uh, the, you know, at the very end of the season, you play Kansas, you get in that Big 12 tournament. So there's still time to have a shot, but you you really don't have much of a room uh, with your tournament resume right now because you're not being able to win those games and those losses uh, to West Virginia and, and, and uh, you know, West Virginia loss especially uh, is going to be a tough one to overcome as you keep going down the stretch and the home losses all of those things you're just going to have to start to you know try and overcome as you keep going through the season. All right, I want to play you some sound. We'll come back and get to the text line, 512-447-3776. I want to play you some sound, a uh, little NFL talk from our guys. Hook them up with Ian Robbie, a replay right here on the Sports Complex in the Horn 1019 AM 1260 in the Horn app and hornfm.com. We play these guys. They are on 6 to 11 right here on the Horn, and they're playing right now on a replay on the Sports Complex. All right, just a couple of uh, nuggets from championship weekend that I still want to get into and discuss. Uh, and I gave this little uh, factoid earlier today, but it's still mind-blowing. Um, the Ravens, and I would say to win games, you got to break tendency. So I, I, I'm not going to criticize Todd Munkin too much for it because I do think they were trying to break tendency at the right time. But when it doesn't work, man, it's going to blow up in your face and, and people are going to uh, criticize the methods. But the Baltimore Ravens in that game versus Kansas City, they had the sixth lowest run rate, um, design run rate in the NFL all year long, all season long, playoffs included. Um, Just to give you perspective to kind of contextualize it for you, uh, there have been 568 NFL games played this season. 
um, including the playoffs. The Ravens' design run rate on Sunday versus Kansas City was 563rd. That means it was, <laughs> it was the sixth lowest of the season. So to me, that's intentional. Uh, I think that was them trying to break tendency, and it did not work. And the reason it didn't work is because Spagnola was was fantastic in his game plan. He had he played six different personnel groupings defensively. I mean, they played three three five. They played a uh, three two six. You saw a uh, four one six. I mean, they threw a ton of different looks at uh, Lamar Jackson. And you could argue that if the Ravens, the adjustment by the Ravens should have been, all right, let's just go back to running the football. And honestly, it ain't that much different than what Texas did early on against Washington. And we all thought, hey, Texas is having some success. They should just run the football a little bit. The adjustment by the Ravens should have been just running the football because it would have influenced Spagnola to have, where well, you would have been able to dictate their personnel grouping. The personnel grouping started to dictate what you were doing offensively. Instead of you dictating what the what the defense should have been doing, they were able to dictate you because your pass rate was so high. They threw all these exotic pressure packages at you, all these exotic personnel groupings. Well, if you're running the football successfully, trust me, teams just gonna play. They they'll play their base. They played their base too, but they'll just go back to their base. They'll go back to run heavy defenses or run personnel groupings. And Baltimore didn't do that. Baltimore allowed Spagnola to really dictate the tempo of that game. And because I think it started out, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I think it started out with, hey, let's break tendency. And it was at sixth lowest run rate of the season, definitely breaking tendency. Only six carries for the running backs, but it blew up in their face. And when it's at one point in the game, they should have been able to pivot because they didn't have to abandon the running game because they weren't down by a lot. If you ever abandoned the running game when you're down three scores, hell, the, the 49ers didn't abandon the running game and they were down 17. They did not abandon the running game. So I think that probably is Todd Monk and that's his ultimate failure as a coach. He should have adjusted sooner and realized, all right, you know what? My game plan sucks. Game plan is not working. It's not working really well. Well, and, and, you know, you give the numbers, Rob, but just watching the game, every time Lamar Jackson dropped back over and over again, uh, it, it looked like he wasn't. Sure, what he was seeing. He was never comfortable. He was, and that gives Spags credit there. Spagnola, he was making it cloudy. He was, he was clouding the picture of what, what coverage he was going to be in. And, you know, you could see even on the touchdown pass to Zay Flowers, he scrambled for – It was, yeah, it was a standard play. It was like seven, eight seconds. And, and go over to kind of backyard football yeah. at some level. But uh, the initial read, he didn't, he didn't get it. it was, and, you know, when he did throw it, because the Chiefs have such a great secondary, guys were, were tight. Guys, guys were covered. covered. Yeah. And that's that – again, not a Ravens fan. I'm watching the game. I'm thinking, why aren't you running the ball? Why are you not running the ball? What are you doing? This game is there for you to win. And, you know, obviously the Ravens fans will talk about Zay Flowers' fumble at the goal line, which was, that was huge. Big. Yeah. That's just a great individual play by Legereus Sneed, by the way, uh, to punch that ball out. And, and then Lamar's interception. But, gosh yeah. – that that right there, where come on, you're you're in then the high score, high red zone, pound the rock, go pound this rock and go get this touchdown. Um, but instead, it's a throw into triple coverage. Yeah. So uh, you can put that on Lamar Jackson, absolutely. But at the same time, That's coach is doing the, at that point of the game, you kind of knew the passing game was not clicking, and it's pouring down rain. Like, yeah, come on, man. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I, I I didn't realize it was that egregious until I went back and looked at some of the numbers, and yeah, that. That is probably that was probably their biggest coaching failure overall. Was the initial game plan was I think they were trying to break Tennessee. It didn't work. It doesn't always work. Trying to break Tennessee, it doesn't always work. When it doesn't, you need to learn when to pivot. Let's pivot. 
They did not yeah. pin. And then, you know, the, that on top of all the personal fouls and the, oh, yeah. the gift yardage that the, yeah. they gave the Chiefs, who were ju- much more buttoned up and much more oh, you know, yeah. poised in that moment. And that goes back to John Harbaugh, because John Harbaugh can get on the headset and say, Todd, what are we doing here? Coach Monken, what are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> what are we doing? We've been one of the highest, we're the highest run rate team in the league this, you know, this season. That's why we're the number one seed. What are we doing? Why are we not running the football more? Uh, yeah, and the Chiefs ran, they, they blitzed a ton. I believe uh, it was a 44%, almost 45% pass blitz rate versus the Ravens. Uh, the season average for the Chiefs was around 32%. And they ran two six-man blitzes against the Dolphins, four against the Bills. They ran eight of them, six-man blitzes, which essentially means you're in zero coverage a lot of times uh, against Lamar Jackson. So they, they want to get after him, but you wouldn't have a chance to get after him if they'd stayed ahead of the chains and run the ball more. So that's the, probably the biggest nugget uh, reviewing the AFC title matchup. But you just got to give more credit to the Chiefs and what they did against the Ravens on the road. Talking about the 49ers and uh, the Detroit Lions, I think obviously most of the conversation has been about Dan Campbell and his fourth down decisions. I think it's overall that third quarter where they had a meltdown. You're up 17 points, and in nine minutes, the 49ers are able to come back <laughs> uh, and take the lead in that game. But the something that's not talked about enough is, was it Batchley, the kicker? I, I didn't realize this either, and I think it's one of the things that Dan Campbell might have considered when he was making his decision, which I agree was a miscalculation. All right, you want to take them points and get the lead. You talked about that yesterday. Take them points. Um, but the place kicker, do you realize how bad he is from outside kicking? I didn't know. Uh, their place kicker, Mike Batchley, is in his career, he is 50% his career outdoors from 45 to 49 yards. Um, hasn't made one since 2020. 76% for his career for 40 to 49 yards, 46% from 50-plus. Um, the Lions converted 80% of their fourth and three or less all season long. San Fran allowed around 71% of their fourth and three or less all season long. And Michael Bashley hadn't, hadn't attempted a kick outside, we talked about this because they're Dome Warriors, since 2022. So I, I just throwing it out. I'm not just not excusing the uh, obviously the decision by Dan Campbell, uh, but Michael Bassey was nine of twenty in his career from 48 plus yards. That's the one of the worst numbers among kickers. He might have been looking at his kicker too. Yeah, that well, that's, my that's kicker outside. That this does not guarantee him to make it. Well, I said that yesterday. I mean, they're human beings playing, and you can't guarantee the field goal either. Yeah. Uh, and now those numbers. Not, not, ju- <laughs> not, not. I'm not justifying his decision. I'm just I, saying, I like, understand. I think that might also have been part of the calculation. Well, sure. If he's 50 percent outdoors, and you get the third down, fourth downs, 80 percent of the time, that's the analytics that would tell you go for it. Uh, and that's why, you know, as we had the good debates yesterday about it. I mean, the third quarter one, I still disagree with, but it's defensible. I don't. I, yeah, I, I will right. never agree that with seven minutes to play, you don't tie the ball. No, game, that was or try right. to tie the ball game. Uh, that just gave all the momentum in the world to San Francisco. They went down and scored again, so then you were down Agreed. ten. Uh, but you know, one of the things we didn't talk about enough yesterday, Rod, was the timeout that he cost them. You know, and it was not just him, but it was Ben Johnson when they were at the goal line and had three timeouts and they were trying to score to make it a three-point game. And they ran the ball, and, oh, and they had to use the timeout. That was brutal. That was a brutal you know decision. What? That was, you know what? And, and we don't get on Ben Johnson enough for that. That, that was, was terrible. That's a terrible call. Well, well, you know, as soon as you had, you, had you to didn't waste score, a timeout after that. And then you were going to have to rely on the onside kick at You're that right. point. We don't uh, talk the, enough about that. That was that a was, horrible call. And I don't, 
I don't know if that was Ben Johnson or Dan Campbell saying we can run. I don't, I don't know where you that You can't came run from. the ball there. You can't run the ball there. You can't run the ball. Even this, if you are predictable. So, whatever it is, you can't run the ball there, man. You can't. You either have to. And Jared Goff can't take a sack, and you can't run the ball. And if you're going to run is, it, you better score. You have to. <laughs> but, but you just can't run it. I mean, you can't take the risk. You have to run a play that, that ends with an incomplete pass. It, um, it, you just said it there, risk. And the, it all blew up in their first day. They, this is a team that had relied that time out on was risk. so valuable. Oh, man. I that timeout was enormous to their potential to come back and win that game. And I'd also say oh, that. I forgot uh, about that one. And it was like, we remember when the Longhorns, oh. we all remember, the Longhorns playing, in Washington, playing Washington in the Sugar Bowl. Right? Cool. They had the ball at the 11-yard line, but you know, they didn't have any timeouts. Mm-mm. So every play had to go into the, the end zone. zone. And the one little swing pass they threw was just to get out of bounds and keep the clock from stopping. You just knew you couldn't get tackled and get bounds or the game was going to end, essentially. And that's where, gosh, you got to know the clock at that point. Uh, you know, Dan Campbell. You're right. I think he was trying to surprise party because he didn't. The Niners will never think we're going to run the ball. Yeah. But you can't be wrong. On I that. would say I, you can't blame Dan Campbell because Ben Johnson is a play caller, but he has veto power because he's the head coach. He can go, hell no, guys, we throwing it. What do you mean? I heard they heard that play. Whoa, 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 no, 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 and no. It was just a basic- we throw it. We throw it. Just so you know. Give me a pass play. Yeah, we don't, something we're not for Jared. So he can, he can always intervene and veto, and that's on Dan. So, I, yeah, Dan Campbell, he could have he given the team a strategic tactical advantage. He did not. I think that is pretty obvious. But that's a great point. Yeah, we hadn't talked about that. And we didn't bring it up yesterday because there were a lot of calls. And also, I'll, I'll throw this out there to Ben Johnson, too. When, um, when you had that fourth down call and they threw it to Josh Reynolds and he dropped it, yep. that should have been to your Amon Say Brown. You got to have your money player catching that. You should. That, you got to design a player for your money. Can't guy. throw it to the Aggie. No. Well, no, man, yeah, <laughs> but you know, but that that's why I ended up dropping it because that's not your money guy. Yeah, he is. He's got the highest drop rate on that team. Yeah, uh, Josh Reynolds. Exactly. Him uh, or Laporta. I mean, that's your those are your those money guy. Good stuff there from E and Rod B. Hook him up weekday morning six to eleven right here on the Horn. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back. We will get to the text line, 512-447-3776. We want to sound off about any NFL talk, any NBA talk, or college basketball on the Longhorns. Disappointing loss last night. Or you want to answer our poll question of the day. Jason Kidd said that Luka Doncic is better than Dirk Nowitzki and should be in the same conversation as Michael Jordan. Who is the best foreign player of all time in the NBA? Send in that text as well. 512-447-3776. Take a break. When we come back, we'll get to those texts right here on the Sports Complex. The Horn 1019 AM 1260, the Horn app, and hornfm.com. Patrick Davis and the Sports Complex. Weekday afternoons on the Horn. Back at the Sports Complex here on a Tuesday afternoon, playing Grammy artists with more than 10 Grammy wins. Allison Krauss on that list. This is some Allison Krauss and Robert Plant. You know, couldn't resist. I know she's done a lot of other things, but if you're going to put her with Robert Plant, that's what I'm going to play on my show. Playing that all week long. Text signs up at 512-447-3776 
is the text line number for you guys to chime in. Let me know what you're thinking about the week in sports. Also, our poll of the day, who is the greatest foreign athlete in the NBA, foreign player in the NBA? Lots of great people to pick from, but there's a lot. Like, there's MVPs now. We haven't had an American-born MVP in quite a while now. So, you know, we put there, but this is because Jason Kidd said Luka Doncic is better than Dirk Nowitzki. Just I, I want to see if this riles up Mavs fans or not. Not being a Mavs fan, it doesn't really rile me up. At being an older guy, it riles me up because I'm thinking, no, not that. He's 24. He's 24. You can't give him that yet. But but he's a, a Spurs fan, so I don't I don't notice that as much. Uh, let's get back to the text line five one two four four seven three seven seven six. Texter says. Uh, the Big 12 is really, really, really good. I think next year this team will be in a better spot. They will be also getting some good recruits. If everybody stays and everybody comes in, uh, have some good recruits, you'll be able to go back into the transfer portal and see who's out there. Now you lose Max Aismas and Dylan DeSue next year, so that is going to be a big hole to fill. Like Those two players are just going to be really hard to replace, especially Dylan DeSue is going to be really hard to replace. But there are some good young players coming in for this Rodney Terry team. We'll see who he gets in the transfer portal as well. I uh, also says, do people forget this is Coach Ronnie Terry's first full year? We got to relax a little bit. No, I know. And, and, and in reality, I think there is a line for a lot of people uh, in college basketball just because the game changes so much that people aren't aware of how much it, it like it shifts of, you know, when the NBA made the rule that the you know high school players could come straight out and that changed the game to then the one and duns and how that changed the game and now the transfer portal, how that's changing the game. Uh, you know, when you look at all those and people just go, well, if he doesn't, if he hasn't been in a national championship game, if he doesn't have a ring, hasn't been in a national championship game, or at least a Final Four, he's the worst coach that's ever coached in, in, in all college basketball. Like, they got to make a run. And if it's my team that made the run last year and they were in the Elite Eight, no credit. No credit for that. So it has to be a run where it's you took someone that was not a top team and you made them get up there. I, I, don't, I don't know the criteria, but it always seems like there's – this weird backwards mentality of this is how this you know this guy is so great, and then if you actually look at the resume, you're like, yeah, he's a good coach, but he's not necessarily that much better than anybody else. He's not putting you up there. Dexter uh, says uh, they're an NIT team. They're they're a tournament team. They're gonna. I mean, you, again, you had the number four team in the country, and you went to overtime. They are a tournament team. Now they're not a high seeded tournament team, and if they don't finish out the season strong, they will miss the tournament. But they're good enough to be a tournament team for sure. Uh, and he says, "Not garbage though." And Spurs are garbage. Pop needs to retire. You're not watching the Spurs. They're getting better with Pop, so you're just not watching that. Uh, Akeem and Dirk and the Greek Freak. I said, "Who's the best though?" You got to give me one. You got to listen to the assignments. You got to give me one. Who is the best? Foreign player in NBA of all time. Not just naming them. I know who they are. But you got to give me one. Give me one. And Jason Kidd, overrated player and coach. Really good player. I won't say he's overrated as a player. But as a coach, possibly he's overrated. And Rick Barnes the last good coach we had. And I guarantee all you guys still wanted to get him fired too. Because he he had those runs where he would have it. And then he'd be, you know, we have to rebuild for a couple seasons. And everybody says he should be fired. And then he'd come back and do well again. And everybody go, oh, Rick Barnes, what a great coach. Uh, and then eventually, that's what it got him ousted here in Texas. He, you know, had a couple bad years, and everybody wanted him out again. Uh, Chan says in the first half, 
when the threes weren't falling, why didn't our players go close to shoot close to the basket? Do they have a self-check mechanism or self-awareness? I'm never. Uh, I'm asking. Never played basketball competitively. Uh, all right, Chan. I, we got to hit a break here at the top of the hour. When we come back, I'll address that because there is a reason they weren't. It's not the best reason, but there was a reason they weren't, and they addressed it in the second half. Uh, we'll get to that when we come back on the Sports Complex and the Horn 1019 AM 1260, the Horn app and hornfm.com.